God bless you. Man, y'all sneezing. Is it my cologne today? I tell you, uh, nobody answered. That's trouble. Sorry about that. No, it's, it's not my cologne. Guys, um, it's good to have you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, please, I know it was announced during the announcements most likely, hopefully, uh, there are visitor cards in a little welcome packet, and we want to make sure you get a welcome packet, information about the church, about the ministries. You can pick that up in the foyer on the way out. There's a table. It says welcome on the little brochure packet. Grab one of those. Please fill out the card inside. You can just leave it on the table, and we'll have a copy of your being here. I do want to welcome our new head administrator, Wayne Christian School, and his family, the Brenners. Paul Brenner, thank you guys for being here this morning. And I'm going to put you on the spot. We're going to have you back so you can uh, share with us some of the things that God's doing at the school, uh, Lord willing, in the days ahead. So just putting you on notice right there. So <laughs> we are thankful to have them, thankful for other visitors. I look around, I see folks and uh, repeaters. Welcome back. We've been missing you. Glad to have you back with us. Uh, also, too, I know that it was announced earlier, but I just want to make sure I hit this because this affects me personally. Tonight, care group, bowling, all right? So the Varner Care Group with the teen group, with the college and career group, we're bowling, okay? And uh, so uh, BYOB, bring your own ball. Get that one straight, all right? And uh, it, we will be meeting there at the bowling. Somebody told me the other day, said, I, I'm like, I got my own bowling ball. I said, I knew I'm in trouble. My wife already beats me at bowling, but, uh, so that's going to be really bad. Looking forward to the time, though, together, and we will do our questions and answer time there. And so look forward to you joining us. If you're not in a care group, maybe you're visiting and you want to know what are these things about, we do the small groups. We go more in-depth on the morning message because I believe that's important. Uh, sometimes we just show up in church, we hear a sermon, we go home, and we forget everything we heard. This gives us the opportunity to really meditate on it. gives you the opportunity to ask questions that you, know, you didn't get to ask here. So be a part of a care group. If you've not been in one, we welcome you to ours tonight. In Goldsboro, 6 o'clock at the bowling alley. So, uh, with that said, uh, we are continuing our study in uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And uh, again, if you haven't picked up the book, I encourage you to pick it up, give it a read by Mark Dever, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Um, this is important. And I believe that taking this summer to go through this series is vital to our sustained growth. Uh, I, I firmly believe, not just because I'm your pastor and I'm partial to you guys, but I wholeheartedly believe that Community Baptist Church is one of the healthiest churches in the area. And I believe that. I truly believe that. But I also recognize that we have a responsibility before the Lord to maintain good health spiritually speaking. And God wants us to be participants in that. And so going through this series hopefully encourages us to continue fighting the good fight of faith, continuing to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? Making sure that we're applying the grace that's been given to us so that we can continue to reach the world for Christ. And so it's an important study. Uh, why is it important? The local church is God's plan for displaying His glory to the nations. Let that th sink in for a second. God's not using the government. 
He's not using your schools in, in the sense that it was set apart for this purpose. The church is the only institution that God has ordained to carry forth His gospel. You, believer. Me. And He's called us together as a body of believers to impact the world around us. That's plan A. That's God's plan. There is no plan B. This is God's plan. And so, it's important that the local church be healthy. I want to see if you've been paying attention. Right? Understanding the nine marks of a healthy church. What's point one? Expositional preaching. Right? Remember, expositional preaching. Let the main point of the passage be the main point of the sermon. Hey, that's pretty simple, right? Let the main point of the passage be the main point of the sermon. This is what God he had it written down this way for us to, again, understand His point. What about number two? I gave you a hint there, right? Biblical theology. Biblical theology, the big oversight picture. From beginning Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book of Revelation, there is a common theme. There is one story unfolding. 66 books, 40 authors, over 1,600 years, right? Written down, recorded for us. One author, Holy Spirit, common thread, the history of redemption. Biblical theology. What's the third one we talked about last week? The gospel. Yeah, let's get that one right. The gospel, the good news. We had a good discussion in our care group last week. I hope you did too on this subject. And gang, there is a lot of things being peddled as the gospel in the world around us. And it's not the gospel. Think about. Think about the last time you heard a clear gospel presentation other than Community Baptist Church. You'll hear that Jesus loves you. And He does. It's only part of the gospel. There's a lot of works-oriented gospels being preached. If, you, if you're a part of a particular church, or if you, you know, take of, 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 of mass, or if you're baptized, you know, there's these works-oriented gospels. But the clear gospel of Jesus Christ is for by grace have you been saved. Through faith. It's not of works. It's a gift of God. The sinless life of Christ. The death at the cross. Atoning for my sin and your sin. The burial. And three days later, His rising from the grave victorious over death. Proving He is who He claimed to be. That's good news, guys. And it's good news that we must share with a lost and dying world. Today we're going to talk about conversion. Alright? Conversion. Here again, this is one of those subject matters that I think a lot of times is misunderstood. Uh, when we're sharing of the gospel, the, the preaching of the gospel, we're, we're popishly declaring people saved when they very well may not be. Now let me just say this. 
as I preach and teach today, if you were saved through one of the faulty methods that I present, don't be offended. Okay? In spite of faulty methods, God is still sovereign. Right? So that's important to remember. So don't want anybody going out of here, well, he said I wasn't saved because I walked down front and prayed a prayer. No, I didn't say you weren't saved because you walked down front and prayed a prayer. But I want you to show me in Scripture where it says, walk down front and pray a prayer to be saved. Please bring your texts, bring your Scripture. I want to see it. That's the point I'm making. Guys, we need to return to biblical gospel presentation. We need to return to what Scripture says we are to do in sharing the good news. Or it's really not good news. It's emotional decisions. It's because we, uh, we played just as I am ten times and begged and pleaded and manipulated people out of their seat. And so they come down front and they emotionally cry because they are upset that they got drunk last night and they want forgiveness. And that's great. But that may or may not be conversion. That may be emotional sorrow. There's a big difference between emotional sorrow and being born again. And that's what conversion is. That's what we're going to talk about in this study on conversion. So with that said, I want to ask you the question. Is change even needed? I mean, y'all look like good folk. I'm looking around the room. Some of y'all, you know, nice looking folk, look like you're clean living. Some of us, not so much. But you know, hey, is change needed? What do I need to change for? What about original sin? Remember, this goes back into last week's lesson. The original sin. The fall. Guys, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men. Because all sin. We need to take a fresh look at our problem. Why do I need to change? Why do you need to change? I, I thought I was all right. I thought I was okay. Guys, the Bible makes it real clear. We have a sin problem. We have a problem with the nature of who we are. At the very core of my being, there is a sin nature. There is a faulty problem. The Bible says, as we looked last week, we were born spiritually dead. That's what this passage is talking about. We've got a sickness. We're dead, spiritually. There's none righteous, not one. There's none that seeks after Him. I'm using Scripture here, guys. I'm using Scripture. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those aren't my words. These are God's words. This is exposing us to the condition of who we are, and this is telling us why we need to change. Now that begs another question. Is change possible? Yes, at McDonald's, we always get change, right? That's why we go there. I have four children. But seriously, is change possible? 
I mean, total depravity. That's what Scripture says, right? All right, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Luke. Luke 18. Y'all pray for my son Luke. He's homesick. Luke, if you're watching. Luke, I'm your father. He is totally embarrassed even at home right now. All right, let's go to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And let's look in verse 18. Now, many of you will remember this. This was actually, some of you may may know, a little trivia fact. This was the very first sermon I preached here. Luke 18. <laughs> yeah, I know. Make your jokes later. All right. Um, and we also went through the Gospel of Luke about five years. I'm just kidding. It was not that one. It was only four. All right, Luke 18. And let's look in verse 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? <laughs> Man, we could camp out there, right? Tomorrow at work, somebody shows up and says, Hey, what do I got to do to be saved? <whistles> what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? It's a works-oriented question, isn't it? Continuing on. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Ah, now he's going to hit the sin nature, isn't he? He's going to talk about, why do you call me good? No one is good. But one that is God. Now again, this throw, you might as well throw Oprah and, and, and Phil's advice right out the window. Because he just told us right here, no one's good, right? Again, I'm using Jesus' word, so, you know. But Johnny's good. He's a good boy. My kid's a good boy. No, Johnny's a good little sinner, but Johnny's a sinner. Let's get it straight. So he goes on. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Ah, you notice what he's doing? This is what we talked about last week in the presentation of the gospel. Some of you are familiar with the way of the master. Using the law for what it was intended to do. The law was given to show us our guilt. Everyone will proclaim their own self-righteousness, but when you hold the mirror up to them, whoops, I realize I've got a sin blight problem all over my face. Have you ever stolen? Have you ever lied? See, the law causes us to think internally in our heart, and we start saying, oh, I'm guilty. And to be guilty of breaking one law, James says, is guilty of breaking all the law. So Jesus is putting it out there. But notice what the guy says. Oh, he said, all these things I've, I've kept from my youth. <laughs> sure you have. But Jesus is going to play along. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus went straight to the heart. Because he knows this man, unless he's born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. He will never inherit eternal life. He has a sin problem. He doesn't see the sin problem. In fact, he's self-righteous. He's just lied and said he's kept all these things since his youth. Sure you have. But Jesus isn't going to go there with it. He goes straight to the heart. So he's going to hit him where it hurts. He's going to point out his need to be converted because he's totally depraved. Notice what he says. You still like one thing. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. 
But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? See, they had taught, been taught in their time that if you were financially blessed and rich and all the, you know, the Pharisees wore all the fancy garb, that God's favor was upon you. You Surely, if anyone's going to heaven, it's those guys. But again, Jesus goes for the heart because he wants this man to understand, first off, there's one thing you lack. What was the one thing he lacked? Again, using the Ten Commandments as a, as a mirror to reflect. What is the one thing he lacked? What did he love? Interactive time. Money. More than God. Well done. Give this guy a star for the day. Nice answer. You got it right. He loved money more than God. He had broken the first two commandments. He was, he was worshiping at a, a, a false god, if you will. Right? He had idolatry of the heart. And Jesus was trying to point it out to him. You love the things of this world more than you love my Father in heaven. Because if you truly loved me in his situation... He needed to get those things gone because they were standing in the way with the relationship with him. Come follow me. Another passage says that Jesus too was sorrowful that the young man went away this way. Guys, it breaks Christ's heart when we present the gospel to people and yet there's idolatry of the heart. And many of us, lest we point the finger, suffer from the same disease. Oh, I love Jesus. Lip service. But there's idols of the heart. But in this case, in the case of salvation, it was total depravity. He was trying to point out his need for a Savior, his need for a relationship, and Christ was that need. But the man rejected and went away sorrowful. Notice what else he says. Said the, the folks around said, these things which are impossible. Oh, let's back it up. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But notice what Jesus says, verse 27. But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we've left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. It's impossible with men. But change is possible with God. That's the point. That's the whole point. Main point of this passage. The main point of this passage is, it's not, what must I do? It's what's been done. That's the whole point of that exchange there. Jesus is letting this young man know that he is providing the way he needs to die to self, repent its turn, and come and follow him. The gospel is being prepared. It's being presented. He's going to the heart. So what change do we need? Scripture says we must be born again. John 3, 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Guys, there's no other way around this. The gospel is very clear. You and I are totally depraved. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And unless we are born again, we will not see the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. We're starting to see as we unpack conversion, I want you to kind of pick up on the things that God says in His Word that are instrumental, that are key in conversion. And the themes that you're going to see, I'm going to go ahead and spell it out for you. You're going to be seeing the Word of God, the seed. Did you know that when you plant a seed, everything you need for, whether it's corn, whether it's tomatoes, whatever the seed is, everything it needs for life is in the seed. The Word of God is the seed that's being planted into the heart of man. And guys, if there's to be conversion, true biblical conversion, we need a true biblical understanding of conversion, it's going to come not through feel-good stories, not through emotional tugs at the heart. It's going to come through the proclamation of the Word of God. Incorruptible seed planted in the heart of man. Look up at this, the, the parable, the sower of the, uh, of the seed. Don't, not right now, uh, but read it. Look at the different soil types. These are the types of people you will meet in the world. These are the type of people you'll meet in the church. How many times have we seen folks... And listen, I'm guilty. Right, let me just say this. I am very guilty in my early years of ministry doing altar call invitations. Oh, I remember. You talk about a, a, a feel-good leaving the church after big rallies and, and, and people all around the altar praying to receive Jesus. Now, I hope there was true conversion. But guys, in hindsight, looking back, I can't help but feel the conviction of, oh, Lord, forgive me of my ignorance. That somehow maybe, did you pray that prayer? Yeah. You repeated it, just like I prayed it, right? Word for word. Yeah. Did you mean it? Uh-huh. Praise the Lord. Angels in heaven are rejoicing. Welcome to the family of God. I don't know if their heart was converted. I hope it was, in spite of my method. But guys, I may have just given them false hope. They may go the rest of their life unchanged in the heart. Unchanged in the heart living their life the way they want to see it because they're at the center of their life. By nature, we are self-centered people. And so instead of doing things God's way, we do just like Adam and Eve did. We do what we want to do because we desire to be in that place, the center of the universe. Y'all know my joke. When I was in school, my vice principal, Mrs. Culverhouse, called me in, eighth grade, I'll never forget it. Jeremy, you must think the whole world revolves around you. And I said, well, my dad does call me son. Don't recommend that. <laughs> Mrs. Culverhouse went and got Principal Mr. Parker, and Jeremy had to assume the position. <laughs> yes, Board of Education. It's good old days. Needless to say, my jokes to Mrs. Culverhouse stopped right there. <laughs> Guys, what change do we need? We must be born again. Well, what will this change involve? Mental ascent? I mean, you know, metanoia, the word repent means to change the mind. 
You know, there are many seminaries that, that, that put this out here and they go after the intellect only. I say go after the intellect because God in His Word says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as, as white as wool, white as snow. You'll be clean. God is a God of reason. He's holy, I'm not. And if He says we can reason and He's holy and I'm not, then who am I, a fallen man, to not be willing to reason with another fallen man? Guys, we must not demonize other religions. We must not demonize those who are different from us, look different from us, have different lifestyles than us. Ooh, cooties, I'm not going to go near them. I'm a Christian. Guys, that, the, that's the, you miss the whole point. We must come together, reason together, in sharing the gospel. Christ is, is, is that example. But it's not merely intellectual acceptance. Even the demons believe that Jesus is God. You want good theology? Go through the Bible. The demons had Christ right. Oh, have you come at this time to, to, to cast us out? To, to, I, I, I thought it was too early. The judgment's not yet, is it? Paraphrasing. They knew He was the Son of God. They knew exactly who He was. The demons believe and tremble. If you believe there's one God, you do good, but even the demons believe and tremble. Guys, it's not enough to give mental assent that you say, oh yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe Jesus was buried. I believe that. I believe He rose from the grave. I believe that. The devil knows better than anyone. Better than anyone. And he's not saved, guys. And I'm afraid there's too many people walking around in our society, in America, especially in our churches, who have a mental understanding, but that mental understanding has never made its way to the heart to change them, to truly, genuinely cause a 180, a repentance. Jesus said to some following Him, He said, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. He said, look, it's going to happen until, the, until he returns. The next time he returns, para, he said the, the, the tares of the wheat, they're going to grow together in the church. He's talking about the, you know, now not the true church because in the true church, church by definition can only be made up of believers. But the gathering place, there's going to be some wheats and there's going to be some tares until harvest. He will separate in a coming day of judgment. And many, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do all these amazing works? Guys, the world is not doing those things. The professing church is doing those things. Let that sink in. There's a great apostasy in the latter days. There's a great falling away. What are they falling away from? I believe they're falling away from the truth of the gospel. And they've got mental ascent. But no heart change. Maybe it's moral resolve. That's the change. Well, hey, I just need to clean up. I need to do better. Now, again, people don't, don't see it this black and white, but this is how a lot of people, you know, I just need to do better. I just need to start going to church more. I need to, I need to start reading my Bible more. And so we muster up this strength to do better. I just need to do better. We tag on God by your grace on the end, right? 
Guys, that the motivation of that is self-effort. That's self-righteousness. This is what the Pharisees did. 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. I believe this is the liberal gospel, the social gospel. is filling a lot of churches today. I talked about this last time when we preached on this and when we were covering the gospel subject about how we live in a society. Younger people, you're going to face it more than anyone. I believe this uptick, uprise of doing in the name of Christ. A lot of liberal churches are out on the front line feeding the homeless and helping the downtrodden and doing the work that the church should be doing. Yes, we should be doing these things, but we're not doing these things denying the priestly power of Christ in His death, burial, resurrection. Whereas to many of them would reject the role of Christ in their substitution Sin? No. I don't have sin. I can live how I want. This is my partner, my life partner. I'm I'm okay. God loves me. He made me this way. Rejecting the truth of the gospel. Merely relying on Christ. Our only hope is in Christ alone. Did you hear that, guys? Our only hope is in Christ alone. Jude 125 in the ESV reads it this way, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Our theme this week at Sports Camp, John 14, 6. Pray for Sports Camp this week, guys. And listen, some of you guys, come out and help us. We'll put you doing something. I don't know how to play soccer. It's okay. You know how to pour a cup of water? You know how to hand it out? We'll get you busy. For Jesus, right? I <laughs> just said it. Okay, there you go. Consistent. But seriously, we, you know, come join us. Pray for the week. We have the opportunity. The camps are, are we got a good number of kids attending here. The gospel will be presented every day. Please pray for the sowing of, of God's seed. So how does a great change happen? If we are totally deprived, right? If we're totally depraved, as Scripture says, if we're dead in response and our trespasses and sins, question, what can dead people do? Nothing. Pretty much last time I checked, dead people pretty successful at doing nothing. They're dead. Guys, spiritually speaking, we are dead. So if we're spiritually dead, we're in trouble. This is all about, look, this is what Ephesians 2 through 10 is all about. Dead in our trespasses and sin. Unless the quickening power of the Holy Spirit awakens us, we're in trouble. Unless God does something, we're in trouble. Guess what? God did something. He sent His only begotten Son into the world that whosoever shall believe in Him... Whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a pretty open-door invitation, isn't it? That's why we've been commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. 
The little g God of this world has blinded the minds of those who are perishing. And unless the glorious light of the gospel should penetrate the heart, they will not believe and receive. Unless the glorious light of the gospel should penetrate their heart and believe. Guys, it's important, and that commission has been given to the church. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is what I want to make real clear. When we get into this, I've got three points on this on, uh, to knock out in about ten minutes. So hang tight, dynamite. we got salvation belongs to the Lord. That's where we need to start. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Psalm 3, 8. How about uh, Revelation 7, 10? And crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's scripture. Don't get mad at me because you think you can get to heaven by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not what God says in His Word. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Ezekiel says, Then I will give them one heart, I will give them uh, uh, one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Now you should know this. We've been, we we uh, went through Hebrews, the book of Hebrews recently. And remember how it talked about the new covenant? This is prophesied in Ezekiel, the Old Testament. But God was telling them, look, I'm going to give you a new heart. He didn't say you're going to keep doing sacrifices and all, you're going to do good and you're going to earn favor with me. No, he didn't say that. He said he's going to. God is going to. And he did. And he does. Salvation belongs to the Lord. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up the last day. Let me tell you something though, guys. I'll let you off the hook. You're not going to want to come to God unless he's drawing you. And he makes just a few verses up. He says, and if anyone comes to me, I will in no way cast them out. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God made it real clear, you and I cannot brag about our salvation in that we've done something. Biblical conversion. You ever seen a, a, a piece of rope like this? The three, three twines that make up one rope. This is the way I want us to understand biblical conversion. Okay, This is one rope. You can't have this rope in its integrity without those three twines. These are three key parts of salvation that must be in play for it to be biblical conversion. Right? Repentant faith. Repentant faith means this. I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. I'm living life self-centered for Jeremy. I, I, I drink, I chew, I go with girls that do. I'm living my life how I want to live it. I'm headed to hell. And all of a sudden, I hear the gospel. By the way, how many of you, how many of you got saved the first time you heard the gospel? That's what I thought. And seed is planted and seed is watered and multiple, 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 multiple times. But then the glorious light of the gospel penetrates. 
And the tug of the Holy Spirit causes me to do an about face, recognizing I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And that if I don't repent and turn to Christ, I'm on my way to hell. I'm busting hell wide open. And the tug of God's love pulls me to a place of recognizing who He is. And I fall on my face and I cry out, Lord, save me, help me, change me. I can't change my nature. I love these things. This is who I am. I'm dead in my sins apart from You. And upon that turn, I now by faith receive what Christ has done for me. One of the things I love to illustrate in my office when I'm doing counseling, I'm sharing the gospel, especially with young kids, is a lot of times I'll take like a pen or a piece of candy or something, and I'll say, hey, I want to give you this. It's free. Nothing you've done to deserve it. I just want to give you this. And I'll just sit there and let it sit in my hand and watch them. And sometimes they'll just sit there for a while. But most of the time, depending upon what it is, of course, too, they don't take too long before they reach out and take it. And I'll say, see, I offered this to you freely, but it wasn't yours until you received it. And guys, God offers to whosoever will, let him come. But until we come and receive what Christ has done on our behalf, we will not be born again. Sure, I can have a mental assent in turn in my understanding intellectually of who God is and what he's done, but I'm a double-minded man, unstable in all my ways. Receiving faith and then relying faith. True, genuine, saving faith isn't like the seed that fell on the, 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 the uh, tough ground and the sun killed it or, or the kind that grew up and looked real pretty. It was looking good. It was green. It was doing well. Going to church all the time. Every time the doors were open, doing good deeds, serving. Yeah, I'm for Jesus. And they're doing all these things and then all of a sudden something happens and they're like, ah, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I don't want nothing to do with the church. Hypocrites and, you know, and all oh, that. And they turned their back on Jesus. The cares of this world choked it out. Was that true conversion? Or was that what we learned in Hebrews? They tasted the goodness of Jesus. Chewed on it a little bit. <laughs> Spit it out. Never truly partaking. Never truly receiving. That's what Hebrews is talking about. It's not talking about losing your salvation. We've been through this. And we've got a lot of people who look like that green plant in American churches. And sometimes it's all their life, guys. Sometimes it's all their life they're in church. But they've had the, the intellectual, and not a true biblical conversion. But true biblical conversion is an ongoing perseverance of the saints. When hard times come, we're trusting in Jesus because He made promises. When the difficulties of life hit, we recognize that God's Word is true and that I can cling to the cross of Calvary because He gives me victory in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's not hitting a home run at softball. That's my life's falling apart. My circumstances stink. But God is on the throne. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's Lord. And one day I will be in His presence for all eternity. One day these things that that so trouble me and I struggle with and battle with, they will be removed because I know that my sin is removed as far as the east and the west. I'm robed in His righteousness. And one day I will enjoy His glorious presence forever. So we recognize this is biblical conversion. Repentant faith. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Repentant faith. Repentance is heartfelt sorrow for sin. It's a renouncing of it and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. This is a, this is a theological definition by Wayne Grudem. If you go to seminary, a lot of students will study uh, Wayne Grudem's works. And uh, th- this is a technical, this is a good definition though. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience. You see the difference, some people have said the difference between heaven and hell is 18 inches. Guys, if your life's not been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to examine yourself. Am I really in the faith? John MacArthur on repentance says this, Repentance has always been the foundation of the biblical call to salvation. No evangelism that admits the message of repentance can properly be called the gospel. For sinners cannot come to Jesus Christ apart from a radical change of heart, mind, and will. That demands a spiritual crisis leading to a complete turnaround and ultimately a wholesale transformation. It is the only kind of conversion Scripture recognizes. Repent and believe. Jesus' first message in the gospel was this. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Guys, repent and believe is like two sides of a coin. Hey, is the head side... Is that, is that the quarter? Or is it the tail side? Yeah, they're both. It's, they're both the quarter. Guys, you can't have believing without repentance. And we're peddling a gospel that says Jesus loves you. Just ask Him to forgive you and receive Him into your heart and you'll be saved. And that is a partial gospel. I could have tequila on Friday and Jesus on Sunday. Quote from one of the large churches on the West Coast, one of their parishioners. I don't need that judgment preaching. I don't think I like that Jesus. Then you don't have the Jesus of the Bible, guys. If God is just and He's holy, there must be judgment. But the good news is Christ took our judgment. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. Repentant faith. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Did you catch that? Leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. A lot of people. Sorry for getting caught. Sorry for what they're doing, but not to the point of willing to forsake the sin and embrace the cross. Romans 10, 13-17, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, 
Who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you were in the Sunday school class, Larry gave us an assignment for the week. We're to go and verbally proclaim the gospel to someone this week. When's the last time you verbally shared the good news of Jesus Christ with someone? Guys, we've got opportunity this week. You want an opportunity? Come help us with camp. There'll be a bunch of little kids you can share the gospel with. Some will believe and some will not. Another part of saving faith is receiving faith. Acts 17, 11, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Acts 8, 14, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Guys, I love me some Berean believers. We got some Berean believers up in here. Anyway, we do. They're hungry for the Bible. I don't have to like, you know, beg, steal, and borrow trying to beat them over the head to get them to come and study their Bible. They want, they, I get emails, man. I get phone calls. Woo! That excites a pastor's heart. We're all called to be students of the Word of God. Do you set your Bible down and only pick it up on the, on the following Sunday? All right, you already stopped doing that because I put them up on the screen for you. Come on! Get in the Word of God, man. Let the Word of God get in you. If you're struggling with that, plead. Just be real with God. Man, I'm struggling, Lord. Give me a new desire in my heart for your Word. Receiving faith. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Most assuredly, I say to you, John 5.24, He who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Guys, here's conversion. We were dead, and now we have life. You are dead spiritually. And you're alive in Christ. Receiving faith. John 1, 11 through 12. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And third point is relying faith. It's not necessary that we should be able to tell where or how we've been converted, but it is important that we should be able to tell that we are converted. D.L. Moody. Have that dialogue this week in your heart. How do you know you've truly been converted? Has there really been a change? Well, preacher, I was four. I just remember peeing my pants and pooping my diaper. I don't remember much change. I guess you count that as a change. They change me every day. No, that's not what I'm talking about. If you were four or you were 44, you changed from death to life. In the same amount of shed blood for the four-year-old and the 44-year-old, it's the same, guys. 
Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Relying faith. 1 Timothy 4, 10 through 11 and 16 says this, For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Guys, saving faith is relying faith. It's persevering faith. John 15, and that's a great, if you want to read something this week to talk about, you know, abiding, this is where it's at. John 15, 4 through 5, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Biblical conversion. Tim Chalice, I like his quote, when we have a biblical understanding of the gospel, we must then also have a proper understanding of conversion. Conversion is a new birth from death to life and is a work of God. It's not merely a change of attitude or a change of affection, but a change of nature. Conversion does not need to be an exciting emotional experience, but does need to produce fruit to be judged a true conversion. Again, go back to the sowing of the seed and see what the one that fell on fertile, sound, on fertile soil did. Conclusion. Consider the conversions of the Bible. Abram became Abraham. He was in a very pagan society, guys. A wicked place. And God called him out of it to a land he did not know where he was going. And yet he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. The just shall live by faith. Moses, David, Simon became Peter, Saul became Paul. What's your conversion story? Becky Pippert, in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, page 45 through 47, tells of inviting Lois, a Stanford student who was skeptical about the existence of God, to a Bible study. She agreed to come, but said, the Bible won't have anything relevant to say to me. The next day, Becky discovered that Lois was living off campus with her boyfriend, Phil. To Becky's great surprise, Phil came with Lois to the Bible study. Before she knew Lois's background, Becky had already decided to study Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in John 4. She, st she started the study and suddenly realized that the passage dealt with a woman living in sexual sin. Ooh, awkwardness. Not wanting Lois to feel ambushed, Becky tried to arrange it so that Lois wouldn't have to read any of the text as they went around the room. But it turned out that Lois had to read the portion where Jesus said to the woman, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for the man you are living with now is not your husband. <laughs> it was her first time to ever read the Bible. Lois said, I must say, this is a bit more relevant than I had expected. <laughs> 
Becky met with her later and talked with her about Christ. Is there any reason why you couldn't become a Christian? Becky asked. No, Lois said. Well, I can think of one, Becky said. What will you do about Phil? Then she talked directly about how becoming a Christian is a relationship that affects every aspect of our lives, including our morals. As they talked, it became clear that God had been pursuing Lois for a long time. There were tears and struggles followed by sincere prayer, asking Christ to be her Savior and Lord. Immediately she said, Becky, I've got problems. I'll have to tell Phil and move out. I have no place to go. It's impossible to get a dorm room this late, and now I'll have to pay this month's rent in two places. So they prayed again, and as Lois left, Becky agonized over how such a young believer could handle so much. Later, Becky was chatting in the hall with some other students when she heard a noise and turned to see Lois slowly walking down the corridor carrying several suitcases and smiling with tears streaming down her cheeks. Everyone began asking her why she had left home. Oh no, I, I haven't left home. I finally found my home. You see, today I became a Christian. That decision had far-reaching effects. That same night, three girls decided to get right with Christ. Another girl who had assumed she was a Christian realized she wanted no part of it. Demanded a total commitment. The next day, Lois was, was told she could move into a dorm, unheard of at such a late date, and she discovered her new roommate was a mature Christian. Three months later, her boyfriend Phil became a Christian. And he too grew rapidly. He had been angry over her conversion and for moving out. But after he was converted, he told her, Thanks, Lois, for loving God enough to put Him first instead of me. Your obedience affected my eternal destiny. Luke reports the risen Lord's great commission to the disciples was that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, Luke 24, 47. How can anyone dodge the fact that repentance is at the heart of the gospel? But repentance isn't just something a person does at the moment of salvation and then says, whew, I'm glad that's over. It's like the story of a little girl who trusted Christ and, 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 and she later was asked, uh, by one of the deacons. Were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? Yes, sir, she replied. Well, are you still a sinner? Well, to tell the truth, I feel that I'm a greater sinner than ever. Then what real change have you experienced? I don't quite know how to explain it, she said, except I used to be a sinner running after sin. But now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. They accepted her into the fellowship of that church and her life there has proved her conversion. Guys, we must make sure, as the body of Christ, we get the gospel clear. And we better make sure it's clear in our own heart. Because God has asked us to turn in repentant faith. He's asked us to receive His Son in saving faith to trust Him, to take Him as our own. And then He's asked us again to rely, have relying faith daily for the battles and the walk that we're engaged in. And that's a continual trust until He returns. 
conversion is at the heart of the gospel. What's your conversion story? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time today. I know it was a little longer, but I pray, Lord, this message is received because no doubt there are those who may be here. Maybe they've just got a superficial understanding of the gospel. Maybe it's just head knowledge, intellectual understanding, but there's never been a change. There's never been a real surrender, a real commitment to Christ, a repentant, believing faith. Lord, salvation belongs to you. And I pray that through the grace of God, the love of God, and the gospel of God, that you would tug at the heartstrings of those who are listening today, whether they're watching via television, listening via the podcast, or here in this auditorium. Lord, have your way in this closing song that we would do business with a sovereign God who sees and knows the depths of our soul. And may we come to you and be converted today. In Jesus' name, amen.